Hello, I'm David Hardacre, and this is the Finzia podcast series on fintech, where digital disruption comes to financial services. We're exploring the big question. Will digital innovators kill the incumbents of banking and finance? I'm uh, in my mid-60s, but I'm pleased to say that I'm joined by about another 10 of us with grey hair and in our mid-60s. Um, I've been in the financial markets since uh, 1970, so that's 45 years. That's Derek Condell. He's one of around 200 entrepreneurs at the Stone & Chalk FinTech Hub. We'll hear more from Derek and others later. But first, what does it take to get into the hub in the first place? Alex Scandura is CEO of Stone and Chalk. You know, we've been pretty selective. Uh, we've had over, I think, 550 people apply to be at Stone and Chalk. And, you know, we want this to be the, the destination and place where the best fintech startups come. And what that does is also signal to investors that this is where you come to find the best fintech startups. Uh, fundamentally, you know, our focus isn't on very, very early stage conceptual startup formation. Our focus is more on how we can help you scale your proposition. What are the successful people doing right to get in here as opposed to the others? It's an interesting question. Um, I don't think there's a specific thing or a silver bullet in that sense. But it's one thing that I learned from um, my time in the UK and working closely with Techstars is that their approach is very much team, team, product team. You can take average team with an incredible idea and over the course of the next six to 12 months, see them pretty much destroy the opportunity and, and that idea. But you can take an incredible team with an average idea and work with that incredible team to turn that average idea into something that's you know a 10 out of 10. So a key part of our process is to understand the founders, understand their history, how they worked together before, what is our assessment of their experience and expertise or skills in the particular area that they're trying to innovate in, and then you know have they had any proof points along that way? And of course, we look at the idea itself and trying to ascertain you know do we think there's a market for it? Are they trying to solve a real problem? Um, has this got potential to scale beyond a niche, say, population here in Australia to a much broader global population? Um, which is why I think TechStars have have really you know hit it on the head in terms of the team, where you know they'll be able to pivot and reinvent themselves um, until they find and crack that nut. Among those who have a seat in the large open area of the hub is a team working on robo-advice, which automates what financial advisors do and has been making large inroads, especially in the United States. I'm Derek Condell. I'm the uh, managing director and founder of a company called Mathematica Proprietary Limited. And Mathematica's uh, doing something quite unique in the robo-advice space. We are building uh, investment portfolios which can be used to uh, predict a person's uh, income in retirement. And we're linking that back to uh, stockbrokers and the ability to do transactions. Okay, so the robo-advice means that somebody can come to your, uh, your, your website, I imagine, to your, to your platform punch in information and you take it from there? Is that the way it works? That's basically the way it works, yes. And those um, someones that you referred to can either be advisors, such as financial planners, stockbrokers or accountants, or retail direct. 
and we're going to ask uh, only one or two uh, very basic questions. We're going to link it to uh, various data that we have and we're going to produce an instant result for them on uh, uh, what it might look like for their retirement income. I imagine there is a, a massive amount of data analytics going on in your business, am I right? Yes, that is right. Um, in fact, uh, we need uh, some very highly qualified people to do all of this. Um, we need actuaries, we need physicists, and I guess in the senior 10 people of our group, uh, at least four of them are PhDs in mathematics or physics, another one or two are actuaries and so on. Physics, I'm intrigued. Why physics? Actuaries, I understand. Well, I've found in having worked with actuaries and physics physicists for well over 30 years, that the physicists have got a very uh, capable mind of um, solving problems without being, let's say, restricted in the way they think. Physicists are able to talk to me, and I'm not a mathematician, uh, in a very easy language sense to convert what I call a, a human need or a human problem into an answer that's driven by mathematics. It's, it's rude to ask someone's age, um, uh, just upon meeting them anyway. 60 to 70, would, would I be right to place you in that band? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> scary thought, isn't it? Um, I've been in the financial markets since uh, 1970, so that's uh, 45 years that I've been a, a stockbroker, an investment manager, a consultant. I've done really everything. And um, I've also worked on both sides uh, at the heavy-duty institutional end of the market and at the retail end of the market. And one of the things about our business is we're joining uh, the needs of the retail uh, with the supply and capabilities of the big end of town and uh, we're delivering uh, investment product to match exactly the needs of the retail public. And uh, we're giving uh, power to the retail public as well. Has it been difficult for you to get your head around the very newness of all this? Uh, occasionally there have been hurdles and I've had to uh, give myself a bit of a rap and say, Derek, wake up to yourself. But as a general rule, um, I've been very fortunate to be placed uh, at the leading edge of activities in financial markets and capital markets all my life. And I've found it uh, a natural movement. And I think that the others in that 60 to 70 age group are very similar to myself. We're all excited about what we're doing. We're all uh, developing new stuff. We're all very happy working with young people in a diversified work environment. And very importantly, I think we're all really happy about working in an environment that's just not a renter space. And a great quality of Stone and Chalk is that we're actually members of a cooperative, cooperative company. And um, that has a different cultural effect on the way we work and the way we think of each other. And um, Stone and Chalk is so vibrant and so active and there's so many events going on all the time that we'd um, be pretty stodgy old people if we didn't like it. And we all love it here. And do, do you feel that you learn from others around you? Oh, very definitely. There is no way that we could have developed Mathematica as quickly uh, as we have in the last four months if I was still working in a backyard garage or something equivalent to that. Next, a fintech which provides a secure marketplace for organisations to exchange and analyse data. Um, I'm Paul McCartney, the CEO and co-founder of a company called Data Republic. Basically, we're a trust framework 
um, and platform to enable multilateral data exchange. The genesis of the idea came about as I've worked on a number of boards and worked with a number of executives and businesses over the years. At the moment, there's a um, significant lack of insightful um, observed data in market. And a lot of the companies more recently have been looking to prosecute some form of personalization strategy. As a result of them trying to do that, when you really think about it, their data that they're, that they're looking to personalize off the back of is really only about 1% of the customer's view. Most of the customer's time, 99% of the customer's time, they spend somewhere else, not with the company. So if you really want to understand what customers or customer groups are doing, um, you need to be able to have insight as to what they're doing when they're not with you. And so when they're not, to do that, you need to look at other data sources um, and d doing a, an exchange of data with or a share of data with another organisation is a really hard thing to do. So you spend a lot of the time negotiating legals, commercials, actually trying to practically get the data out of the firewall. USB sticks are still floating around between large companies and that's particularly scary. When you, when you want to think about governance, you want to be thinking about a set of protocols and procedures in a legal framework which enables data sharing to happen in a much more, data to be exchanged in a much more liquid manner. So when that occurs and you provide a platform to actually do the data science on multiple data sets, which is what we do, you end up with an outcome which is you know, very secure, very well governed. We've spoken to multiple regulatory bodies about this. We started with the legal framework first and then we built a platform, a technical platform on top of it. And so what sort of data are you bringing together there? It's a, there's a variety of data sources, financial data, there's retail data, there's loyalty data. There's, you know, we're talking to governments and insurers and a, a real raft of, or an array of data sets that um, have different levels of compliance with privacy. You know, some are able to be shared an aggregate, others that have the rights to be shared on an individual basis, you know, on a one-to-one -one basis, um, like loyalty programs. Will it be useful mainly for financial institutions or is it any institution? Oh, there's any institution that wants insight into customers or customer groups that want to be able to you know, have, an, have a view on risk, or a more insightful view on risk, want to be able to improve conversion rates of their customers because um, messaging can be much more, much more appropriate. They want to be able to operate some kind of yield process where they can improve you know, average revenue per customer or they might want to think about you know, more granular segmentation of their market, even down to the individual level, if they're allowed to. How difficult has it been to get the funding which you need to take this forward? Oh, I'm probably a little bit different to a lot of um, other startups. In that, in that I, this is my fourth. Um, I keep getting, my wife keeps telling me to go and do something else, and I. You're a serial startup. Well, and I've, this is an opportunity of the quantum I've not seen in Australia before. It's, um, it hasn't been that hard, but that said, we're at the start line and, and we've got um, um, a long journey ahead of us. Perhaps surprisingly, there's a venture which aims to make the financial advice industry more transparent. Uh, my name's Rodney Lester. I'm uh, the Operations Director at Advisor Ratings. Uh, so Advisor Ratings is a consumer-facing uh, website to try and get consumers uh, to match up with financial advisors. We've been called the trip advisor of financial advice. So people can go and look at advisors on the website. We've got all their details, all their qualifications, that sort of thing. And then uh, we can see what they specialise in. A client can say what they are looking for in a financial advisor and we can match them up together. So that's the crux of what we do. 
uh, and in the way of TripAdvisor, uh, are people able to rate the financial advisors? Yes, we're a ratings and review site. So uh, the idea is for um, advisors maybe to reach out to their clients and say, I'm on this um, site and uh, would you like to rate me on there? And then other people, when they go and, and they have a look at all the different advisors, they can see what other people are writing about those advisors. So in that way, you get a, an unbiased sort of validation of the advisor from an independent source. And that's where we're positioning ourselves as a, the independent source of um, financial intelligence, I guess. And clearly the financial advice industry has been going through difficulties in Australia. Do, do you think that this is going to ease those difficulties or just bring about a whole new approach? Well, yeah, that's the, the name of the game. Um, the scandals involving the financial advice industry and, and, and different parts um, of the financial sector are obviously well known. There is a need. There's, there's a lot of talk there has been for many years about, you know, new regulation or, or being industry-led or government-led and what we need to fix the industry to, to put trust back into the industry. And that's, that's a really key part for what we do, the, the trust in the industry, because traditional advertising, obviously, they're going to the banks or whoever will say what they want for themselves. And then you've got journalists and other people just saying, you know, a lot of negative things. But we want to sort of work with both the consumer and industry. And we think if we're successful in what we want to achieve, it can, it can almost become self-regulating. You'll have all the details of different advisors on there. They won't be able to put up anything uh, that's wrong or, or false or um, fraudulent because as soon as that gets, you know, that could be pointed out by, by anyone and, uh, yeah, we just think that, that that's a really good sort of in-between way of, um, of getting, getting the, the, uh, the trust back into the industry. One perennial difficulty for fintech startups is where do you get the money from? Yes, well, that, that's a big thing for everyone. We've just uh, celebrated our first birthday just recently, so we're a little bit further on from maybe a, a, an initial startup phase. But it is, it is you know, you, you get a little bit of money, you get a, a hundred or a couple of hundred thousand dollars, and then that, that sorts you out for a couple of months, and then um, you can get on with doing all the work and, and working really hard about what you have to do and then you sort of have to look again for that next level. And then it's also about how much do you really want because when, when you get bigger, when you get larger levels of investment moving in sometimes, whoever's investing wants a bit more control or a bit more say in the direction of the company. So it's a bit of a tightrope but... Uh, yeah, being around a place like this at Stone and Chalk, it can encourage those sort of connections to be made and you can meet the right sort of people. Finally, and perhaps most complicated of all, the new frontier of digital disruption, a version of the blockchain. Dilip Rao is from Ripple Asia Pacific. Ripple is a company that provides uh, technology to banks uh, that enables them to make payments between themselves uh, in real time across borders. And how does it do that? Well, the fundamental underpinning for Ripple is a technology uh, called a distributed ledger. And so this is one kind of a blockchain as is popularly known uh, today. It basically enables two banks to share a ledger and come to an agreement on a transaction that they've conducted without either of one of them being the central authority, as we call it. Uh, so today, banks run their own ledgers to uh, validate transactions. So Ripple provides a distributed technology that enables them to do this 24 by 7 by 365 in five or six seconds. In five or six seconds? That's right. It's 
sounds quite revolutionary. Is it right, do you think, to describe it in those terms? I think so. I think the interest uh, from probably um, 2011, 2012 was when uh, the first papers came out about the blockchain. And the blockchain is a specific implementation of a distributed ledger technology. Uh, Ripple has a slightly different method, which uh, sits more comfortably with banks and regulators, but it still uses uh, the similar concepts, which uh, are, we think, the next generation of uh, database technology. You're essentially a United States-based company. What brings you to Stone & Chalk in Sydney? Well, really, Ripple Asia-Pacific is the first subsidiary that we have set up outside the United States. And really, we're following our clients. Some of the earliest adopters of Ripple technology are in this part of the world. So we're seeing a lot of take-up from banks in Australia, New Zealand, uh, Southeast Asia, South Asia, and the Middle East, which is the region that we are focused on here. Sydney uh, seemed to be a logical place for us to be. Uh, there's a lot of talent. Uh, there's obviously some very large financial institutions here that want to be at the forefront of innovation. So it made sense for us to set up shop here in Sydney. Now, you're pretty well established in terms of technology companies, and that may not mean going back a lot of years, but you've, you have a, a, a pretty well-developed presence. Why would you come to a place like Stone & Chalk? Really, uh, Ripple started in 2012, so actually we are not uh, that old, uh, and we are still considered uh, a startup. Uh, we are just a well-funded startup out of Silicon Valley uh, with you know investors like Google Ventures, Andreessen Horowitz, IDG, etc. But we still think and behave like a startup. And so for us, Stone & Chalk was the logical place uh, in Australia uh, as the leading fintech hub. It allows us to collaborate with like-minded people, uh, allows us to draw upon a lot of the connections that Stone & Chalk offers. Uh, for example, they've introduced me to APRA, to Austrac, to ASIC. And these are all regulators that Ripple talks to, uh, not only in Australia, but around the world. So for us to be at Stone & Chalk makes a heap of sense for us. So it kind of centralises the services and the, and the links which you need to be able to function in the market. Absolutely. So I think both in terms of the, the banks that we're targeting, the regulators that we're talking to, but also the community, uh, because we obviously we are growing here. I set up shop here in April as a one-man band. Uh, we are now uh, hiring a fourth person. Uh, so we're growing here, but it enables us to leverage this community at uh, Stone & Shark. In our next podcast, we discuss the funding of fintechs with one of Australia's leading venture capitalists, Ben Heap. We think uh, that fintech is a, is a particularly interesting place to invest because of the significant scale of the financial services industry in Australia and the fact that the financial services industry around the world is yet to be fundamentally uh, disrupted. And so, as has been the case in many other industries, and media and retail are, are just two, FinTech will, or financial services, will face a period of um, uh, really sort of fundamental change. And so the, the particular interest in FinTech is the early investors recognising that change coming.